0: C.S. Lewis once called pain God's megaphone to a deaf world. What did he mean by that? What is suffering? Why does it exist? And how are we to accept it? Join us as we examine these questions and more with today's special guest, Dominican Father Paul Keller, professor of theology at Mount St. Mary's Seminary of the West. I'm Father Michael Scanlon, Chancellor of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. talking about redemptive suffering. And we have a regular panelist here, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University. Dr. Scott Hahn, Professor of Biblical Theology here at the university. And our special guest, Father Paul Keller, an old friend, an old student, an old teacher here. (laughs) He's done everything. He received his Bachelor of Arts here from the university but then he received the Doctorate of Sacred Theology from the Pontifical Athenaeum of St. Anselmo in Rome. I always wanna make sure I not say Anselm, but anyhow. Very good. Ordained to the priesthood in May 93. You taught at Franciscan University and at Providence College, but you're currently Professor of Theology at Mount St. Mary's Seminary of the West in Ohio, and he's author of 101 questions and answers on the sacraments of healing, penance, and anointing of the sick, and that'll be the basis of how we're going to grill you today. Okay. (laughs) Let's begin by talking about the problem of suffering. Many people argue against Christianity and say, wait a minute, you claim a good God, why does a good God impose suffering or allow suffering or involved in suffering himself? How did he permit it? Well, what's wrong with that argument?
1: Well, it's it? the most basic question, isn't it, Father Michael? Yes. And the uh, basic answer, the most basic answer that I explain to people about why God allows suffering is, is very much tied to the free will. God has given us a free will and as a result of that free will, we have the opportunity, though it's not the purpose of the free will, to do bad things. Mm -hmm. And if God were to get rid of suffering, it seems to me that he would have to get rid of the free will, that he wouldn't be able to make us creatures that could suffer. The Holy Father, or excuse me, Pope John Paul II uh, said in his apostolic letter on suffering, that suffering is part of the nature of man. And by that, he does not mean that we're made to suffer, that suffering is a necessary part of our lives. As much as it is, he's saying that we, because of who we are, the way we're made, we're open to the possibility of suffering (coughs) because, part and in part, because of our free will. So this is a a a question that's very much tied to how we live our lives.
2: Well,
0: one quick one on that. Uh, Then why did Christ have to suffer? You know, uh, uh, why did God permit him to suffer too? Well,
1: there are several things that we could say about that, I think. The first is that Christ desired to suffer. Uh, he, He wanted to come among us into our world to raise us up out of our suffering and to make our suffering change, that is to say, to make it valuable. That's what we miss, I think, a lot in the world is that because of the way that we're made, we can very easily get caught up in the glitter of the world around us and think that this is all there is. And so when we miss that otherworldly nature, that other part of the world that God has created for us to be in, uh, when we miss all of that, we focus solely on this life. And that leads to a kind of a pleasure
3: principle, it seems to me, that we to, to only build want on to live. That, you know, free will is the lower half of suffering, you know, but the top half, I think, is love because that's really what free will is ordered to, you know, and the draw from one of the most frequently quoted sages on this program, G.K. Chesterton, <laughs> made the statement that, 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 that suffering without love is worthless, uh, but love without suffering is empty. And Pope Benedict picks up on this too in some teachings that he gave on the Feast of Saint Therese because Saint Therese is a doctor of the church because she really explains not only how a little love goes a long way, you know, when you're doing things. If you do little things with a lot of love, you know, you just release this divine energy. Exactly. And that's precisely how love proves itself. You know, if you just simply say, I love you, you have words. If you simply feel love, you have sentimentality. How do you show love? What is the test of love? To exercise your free will to sacrifice. And so it's really love that transforms suffering into sacrifice. And that's the key, I think, to the cross. That unlocks the mystery for why Jesus assumes our humanity to transform that
4: into an icon of his own divine life and love. If, if, If I could pick up on that first question of, you know, why does God suffer the world to suffer? which is the standard atheist objection. Yes. Uh, I, I think that even if the atheist uh, were to succeed in disabusing us of the so-called superstition, that there is a good God, there would still be suffering. They can't eliminate suffering or pain. I mean, this is what C.S. Lewis calls the terrifying compliment. God takes us seriously. He confers freedom, which means he runs the risk of that freedom being abused, turning uh, one's freedom against the good. God sort of hopes by sending grace that we might help him avert that catastrophe. But if you live in a fallen world, whether you subscribe to uh, theism or or atheism, you're still stuck with pain and injustice and uh, a universe uh, engulfed by the flames of injustice and deceit. So the atheist doesn't have a leg up Uh, on the Christian when it comes to pain, but we at least uh, regard pain as something that can be redeemed, Uh, even if we can't eliminate it, God entered into it and somehow transfigured its meaning. Exactly. Uh, But not just redeemed, pain,
3: suffering, they're redemptive. You know, so it's not just, okay, we figured out a way to kind of salvage some good from pain and suffering. It's we have figured out a way to harness this so that love can be perfected and transfigured. You know, for God to love infinitely is natural. For us to love finite is natural, but we're called to an infinite love that exceeds our human capacities. You know, and so there's a sense in which the new wine of God's love comes into the old skins of our humanity yeah. and calls us to be willing to burst, you know, and, and yeah. everybody up until Jesus said, no, thank you. You know, well, then Jesus makes great. it possible for us to all enter into that.
0: Well, Paul, now why did Christ have to suffer the way he did for all this? You know, I mean, did he?
3: Well, did he
1: have to suffer in this in this yeah. worst way? St. Thomas Aquinas will say that he didn't have to do this. He right. could have redeemed us in some other way. But he chose to, and that's the beauty of the love, I think, Scott, is that he chose to enter into the worst possible suffering that he could with us, into the very depths of our suffering. So it wasn't just a matter of becoming a man, which would have been enough in a certain sense, right? One drop Uh, of blood. uh, One drop of blood, which could have happened at his circumcision, for instance, but, uh, or some other thing when he maybe fell as a little child and scraped his knee or something. But uh, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, enough for him just yeah. to live among us as a man, but to actually take on everything that we have suffered to the point of going to the cross, to the point of being shamed on the cross as he was.
0: Now why do you say a drop of blood is important?
3: <laughs> well, you know, the point that St. Thomas is making, and by the way, for the last few minutes I've been pilfering, from our master, you know, I'm a closet Dominican, I suppose. But, you know, St. Thomas said that the incarnation, you know, it redeems us. And so he goes so far as to say, it's not how much Jesus suffered on the cross that redeems us. It's how much Jesus loves. It's the love yeah. of Jesus as the son of God that transforms that suffering into a holy passion, which is the love of our redemption. Yeah. You know, and it it, 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 it is... isn't. It isn't just God sort of like, okay, I've got plan B here. There's something that is almost impenetrably luminous about God's purpose for calling us not only to freedom, but to face this risk, this calling to love, even
4: at the point of saying yes to self-sacrifice. So so the... the uh the, the efficacy of, of the cross, or the power of his redemptive sacrifice, is somehow squeezed into even a single drop of blood. That would be sufficient yeah. to save the entire universe. Because that blood is his life. right That's And right. that life is the gift. That encompasses and the gift of life everything. is love. That's yeah, right. the whole yeah. weight of eternity is somehow squeezed into that finite space. That's pretty amazing. It is. And there's is. another question that, that, that needs to be asked. Did he have to redeem us? I mean, that that wasn't uh, something that he was constrained to do. I mean, that was something he freely chose. He didn't have to. True, although in a certain sense,
1: love does constrain us, doesn't it? Yeah. Love impels us. And so did Christ have to come and redeem yeah. us? In a certain sense, no, I suppose, in terms of God's utter free will, yeah. But love doesn't understand that kind of language, right, and anyone yeah. who's ever loved anyone knows that. When you see That's someone right. suffering, a parent or a spouse right. uh, for a parent for a child, a spouse for the other, and so forth, we want to be with that other, and so God desires as. Uh, Archbishop Denoya often says, God desires us to have union with him more than we do and more than we desire anything else. And yeah. that union comes through his
3: desire for us to share in his love, to have yeah. his life. It, it's not the logic, it's not the necessity of logic or nature, it's, it's the freedom of love that really impels. And, and in a certain sense, that isn't less of a force than just some necessitarian logic. It's far greater, you know, for divine love to desire more for us than we desire for ourselves right. and to desire our own redemption more than we do. It, it's the logic
4: it's of amazing. love, really, yeah. I think. Love is diffusive of itself. It longs to share its life
0: with the beloved. Does that explain exactly. people who suffer their whole life with things? I mean, not just a couple yeah. of hours, right? but right. indeed have a, have a lifelong suffering? Uh, Is that what God wants?
3: Well, I mean, for the saints who love, suffering is still painful, but to take their suffering away would be even more painful. Uh, Because it would mean taking away their free will.
1: That's right? right. Because the only way you can get rid of suffering, I believe, is to get rid of the free will and to make us some kind of automaton yeah. where we're never going to have to experience Plus, if, if you
4: really want to imitate Christ and share uh, in his passion in some way, then you're going to have to embrace the cross. There's no way to circumvent that. You know, C.S. Lewis puts it very nicely, love anything, even a dog, and it will break your heart. Mm. Uh, and mm. Jesus' heart is broken on the wheel of this world, the world's injustice. But he, he did it to himself. I mean, he, it was a yeah. voluntary sacrifice. We didn't force him down onto the wood of the cross.
0: So why does, during this Lent, how does, why does the church focus us so much on this, and what does it expect us to do in response? Well, I think
1: it's to we want to be configured to Christ because that's what He desires for us, for the fullness of our lives, so that we can be completely happy. And there maybe we need to explain what we mean by happiness, but it's uh, the full human flourishing, and we can only experience that full human flourishing when we're in union with God. Now, To do that, we have to look like Christ, we have to be with Christ, we have to be united with Christ, who is the one way for us to reach the Father, to to reach God. And that means being configured to him in every way, not just in parts of the way he lived, or maybe some of us want to work miracles or something, but it has to do with being configured to Christ completely. And St. Paul says, being configured to Christ crucified. Right. So it's when I am looking more and more like Christ crucified, not, ex- huh. not only exteriorly, but interiorly, because interior suffering can be even worse than the exterior.
4: I, I think wow. for, for most people, you know, the witness of, of Christ is not going to involve something really melo, you know, melodramatic a spectacular show of, of one's imitation of Christ. You climb up on a cross and they nail you to it. Right. I think for most of us it's simply a matter of giving up our sins, saying no uh, to what's disordered uh, and wayward. And that that's a cross in itself. To become more and more conformed to Christ requires that you let go of those things that somehow obscure this image and prevent the image from becoming the true likeness. And, and the- do it through love, yes, you know, love right. in the little things. You know,
3: God's love doesn't oh, just yes. create galaxies and sustain the universe. It creates subatomic particles, too. Yep. And so God's love can endow us with a capacity to love him back in just the way we set the table or the way we take out the garbage or the way we forgive a spouse or apologize to one, you know. Right. And, I, and I think that is also I mean, it's not just giving up sin, right. you know, illicit pleasures. It's also giving up licit pleasures, even like, with just dessert, you know, for yeah. this 40 days. Right. But, you know, it really is a test of love. When you look at the number 40 in the Bible, you recognize it's 40 days, you know, for Moses to fast, 40 days for Jesus and Elijah. And well, I know we, we can come back to this later on, but this really is a great opportunity for us to undergo the test of love, which is real freedom, as you right. have pointed out. That's right. right. That's right well,
0: when, when we come back, what we want to do deal with is how to accept the suffering that's there before you, especially during this Lenten time. Stay with us.
2: Suffering is a great grace. Through suffering the soul becomes like the Savior. In suffering love becomes crystallized. The greater the suffering, the purer the love. Diary of St. Maria Faustina Kowalska This university is different because um, not only it's gonna sound cliche but that academically challenging passionately Catholic like it's not a lie. It's a a academically prestigious school but it has this Catholic environment that is unlike anything else I've ever seen or experienced firsthand. Priests are very available um, to hear confessions and just spiritual direction you know do the sacraments. Franciscan University is academically challenging and passionately Catholic. Anyone who has inwardly accepted suffering becomes more mature and more understanding of others, becomes more human. Anyone who has constantly avoided suffering does not understand other people. He becomes hard and selfish. Pope Benedict XVI, God and the World
0: Talking about redemptive suffering with a special guest, Father Paul Keller. And uh, Paul, okay, Christ suffered, and that was good, and we understand what He did for us. Why is it necessary that we suffer then too?
1: Well, because as we had been talking about, uh, we want to be configured to Christ so that we yeah. can attain to the fullness of life. Now that doesn't always mean that we have to undertake some big cross as Regis had pointed out earlier as well that re- that a lot of times it's just the small things accepted in a very humble but loving way because love is the key as again as Scott has pointed out. St. Therese had said, you had reminded me of uh, of something she said that was pointed out to me recently by uh, bishop that I was conversing with, that when we do something very little for God with love in the yeah. state of grace, which is the key here, um, such as picking up a pin, I think St. Therese says, if you pick up a pin with great love in the state of grace, you can win a soul out of purgatory. Oh. So this is, the, we can do great things with very little actions. That is to say, these penances undertaken or sometimes the ones that are already in our lives that we didn't ask for. Um, (laughs) The the, uh, penances uh, given us the crosses that are part part and parcel of life as well as those things we undertake done with love in the state of grace brings us into greater union with God and has an effect beyond us. It's This is the beautiful thing about suffering is that it is it can transform the world
3: when we unite our suffering with the suffering of Christ. I want to kind of underscore this because, you know, this helped me so much many years ago when I was becoming Catholic, because in the back of my mind, I used to wonder, why did Jesus wait so long to get on with the world's redemption? I mean, the so-called silent years. For 30 years, living family life, you know, he could have been preaching and teaching and healing thousands, millions, you know. But what St. Therese shows us is that he was redeeming the world Mm -hmm. for those 30 years, living family life working with his father, you know, dealing with noisy neighbors, you know, Ah. and whatever other nuisances that might come through Nazareth. The, The fact that family life is something that he embraces freely out of love, it isn't just how much he suffers. It isn't just how much he taught or how many people he healed. It's the love of Christ, and that love is translated in family life as much as it is in the death and resurrection. It's all inseparably united, not only for him, but for us. And this is one other thought I wanted to make that, you know, everybody agrees, Christian, you know, whether we were Catholic or Protestant, that Jesus is the representative, the new Adam, as St. Paul calls him. But what is his representative role in suffering? Is it a substitution, the way that Luther taught, or is it a participation, yeah. mm-hmm. the way Augustine taught? Uh, and Luther says, well, you know, if he's a substitute, we should obey, but we don't have to. But likewise, we, we shouldn't have to suffer and die if he did so as a substitute, but we still suffer and die. So that's what shows us the realism of what Augustine and Aquinas taught, that he did it as a representative, not to exempt us from obedience, suffering and dying, but to endow us with the love to obey, to suffer, to die, and then in turn to rise to the glory of
0: that love. That's right. Yet at the same time, while all the suffering he exemplifies and calls us to follow him, he teaches his yoke is easy and his burdens light.
4: Because love makes it light. Yeah, Yeah, and we're not not too uh, sentimentalize that. There is a a, a hard and stern uh, uh, realism Uh, to the Christian message, the Christian proposal. Uh, Jesus entered into the whole brokenness of of our condition. Nothing is too small that he couldn't sanctify, and nothing is too large that we're somehow disqualified from entering into. We participate, we are ennobled to the degree that we join our life to his life. I mean, this was the great theme of of Paul and Irenaeus who elaborate this wonderful theological of divine human patience. I mean, there is a virtue that doesn't seem to have a whole lot of sex appeal, and yet that's the heart of the matter. Thirty-three years he spent on planet Earth. I mean, if if I were God, I would pull it off in about a minute. Why does he wait so long? (laughs) He shows us that he's able to somehow rehearse and reiterate and enter into and recapitulate the whole sweep of the human condition, everything. I mean, he's, he's a zygote, and then he becomes a corpse. And in between every stage, every phase is somehow assumed and thus redeemed.
1: Well, the, wow. and the question of the suffering, yeah. uh, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, yeah. makes me think so many times of the people that I encounter as a priest who are suffering f- with loved ones or for loved ones. I'm thinking, for instance, of a family uh, in Rhode Island who are, whose son is, uh, has a cerebral palsy, and the mother and the father are loving that boy. By the way, his name is Dominic. They named him after St. Dominic. Saint Dominic. Okay. Um, they, uh, they love him. And if you asked them, is this easy? I'm sure they would say absolutely not. But they don't think about how hard it is because of the love. They're united with that. their son's suffering so deeply because of their love for him. They would do anything for him. And indeed, they do great things for him. Well, they do heroic things. Yeah,
0: and that's... Sure. Sounds wonderful, and you really can understand love doing that. But Paul says, "I rejoice exactly yes. in yeah. <laughs> suffering yeah. for you." I mean, it's a party. I fill up. Yeah what is lacking. Right. But but he doesn't
4: put on a happy face, it's not, this is not an all day sucker, this is not a warm fuzzy. (laughs) I mean there is joy, joy is somehow different than, deeper than pleasure or contentment. I mean the cross was hard and bitter agony but there was a kind of joy in Jesus marching right to the end of the finite. Because
1: the the rejoicing comes in knowing that something great is being
3: accomplished, that's Uh, what's happening here. That's why he can rejoice. You know, Hebrews 12 puts it, you know, for the joy set before him, you know, he endured the cross, despising the shame, you know. So there really is a holy contempt for all of the shame and the agony. And yet at the same time, there's the freedom of love embracing this. And as you point out, I mean, this is not an exceptional incident with uh, that couple, with their little child, with that son, Dominic. Because, you know, you, you you watch the news and you see, you know, a mother run into a burning house right. to rescue a child, and you know, at one level, what a heroic risk of sacrifice, and yet, It's motherhood. You know, what mother wouldn't do that sort of thing? You know, and so when you see how it is that the cross enables us to participate in a love that exceeds our own human nature, our own finitude, Uh, and it's not just when we are martyred, you know, it's the 40 days of Lent when we have to learn the lessons of love by giving up things that are sinful, things that are licit, but can also kind of impair or impede our progress. And
4: Remember, uh, the the sacrifice of love is always uh, exercised, lived out against this horizon towards which we move anyway, and it's called death. That's right. Every pain is a little death. It reminds us. It's a foreshadowing of that final cancellation.
1: I often wonder what kind of a martyr I would be actually the older <laughs> I get. When I was younger I thought, oh I could do yeah, this, this would sure. be great, I'd read the stories about the uh, right. saints who would, yeah. or the men and women who would go off as missionaries and right. give their lives in China and so forth. But the older I get, the more I realize that it's those little things, yeah. those little nuisances right. that right. I sometimes resist right. uh, yeah. rather than just selflessly giving myself over for yeah. and to But they, they make call you to a, a death. They, they make right. you ready. Oh, so exactly.
0: What Jesus mean when he's pick up your cross?
1: Well, in that little way, sure, you can pick up your cross in a, in a million different ways. There are little things, by picking up the pin off the floor, right, as St. Right. Therese says. Yeah. Uh, by putting up with the nuisances of people around us, whether it's in family life, the little right. nuisances that happen, or religious life for us, Father Michael, uh, or having to wait at, uh, for some slow driver on the road, which I find particularly <laughs> yeah. annoying, I must tell you, and, uh, or uh, in the classroom, for those of us who teach, wanting our students to excel and, right. and meeting with the resistance there. Those can be little nuisances in life. There are greater things that we don't ask for. Everyone
3: has his cross to carry. Uh, I want to assure you that slow driver wasn't me.
4: <laughs> but, you
3: know, in, in, the, in the classic work *Divine Intimacy*, Brother Gabriel points out how you know tr- suffering that would otherwise be so trivial is dignified precisely by Jesus' calling at the cross. You know, we pick up our crosses yeah. daily. By accepting, by giving consent from the freedom of our will to the contradictions of, again, noisy neighbors, contradictory spouses, or whatever we getting face. Out yeah, getting out of bed. Yeah, getting out of bed. A, a, a
4: boss I think of work. A, an observation that St. Francis de Sales makes uh, in the context of, of everybody sort of perversely wishing that they could have their own cross. If, if you could design your own cross, it would be quick, it would be painless, and it would be impressive. But Jesus, God, from all eternity, thought of the exact suffering that he would offer you. Mm -hmm. And he filled that thought with his wisdom and his love. And so he knows best
0: what the nature of the suffering uh, you must embrace uh, will be. And not only that, but we used to do men's retreats, and one of the most important conferences is we'd say, well. God takes you up to heaven and says, Okay, uh, you don't like what I gave you? Uh, Go through all these crosses and pick the one that's best for you, (laughs) the one that's most going to help you. And you go struggling down the line, looking at them, and finally you grasp one, and he says, that's the one you came in with <laughs>
4: <Because> it <fits. laughs> Right,
3: right, yeah. yeah. You know, theologians debate whether Jesus suffered the, the torment of the damned, and I'm not, I'm not going to get into that speculation, but wow. I would say this, that uh, Jesus actually suffered far more than the damned ever could because love doesn't diminish our capacity to suffer. Love enlarges it. That's a good point. And, and, and so Christ on the cross suffered infinitely more than all of the damned could ever suffer precisely because his love was so wow. infinite and immense. And that's precisely
4: what he calls us to. Right. Plus he continues to suffer in his members. I that's mean, right. Leon Bois famously says, Jesus will remain in agony until the end of the world. It's wow. the suffering of love. And Origen tells us it's an eternal Pathos. From all eternity, Jesus exists in a relation of love to the Father, and that's defined by suffering, passion, pathos. How, does
0: of, uh, how do the sacraments fit into this? You know, uh, I oh. mean... Uh, well, that's worthy. how they're yeah. enacted. That's how
4: the drama is, is right. shown. Well, first of all, it's the union
1: of Christ with his yeah. body, the church, which yeah. he formed, right? So the church is part of Christ. All of our worship of God is always done through Christ in participation with him as our head, our participation in the body of Christ. And the sacraments are our touching him, him are um, coming into union with him and so he it isn't just Christ reaching down and doing something to us in the sacraments it's it's an openness on our part to union with God all of the sacraments all of the seven sacraments have as their goal union with
3: God, union with the Aww. blessed Trinity. Yeah, this principle of Good. the body is so important. It's more than a metaphor, you know, and St. Paul was the one, the only New Testament writer to speak of the church as the body of Christ. The very first time he does it is in 1 Corinthians 10, 17, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. But if you look at the previous verse, you know, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a, con- a communion in the blood? of the bread which we break, is it not a communion in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. The Eucharist is the body of Christ in 1016. And then in 1 Corinthians 1017, for the first time in all of his writings, he announces that the church is therefore also the body of Christ. We are what we commune upon
4: That's right. in the Eucharist. That's but you know, right. I mean, Paul describes this in his letters, but he lives it and feels it in his own flesh. Right. When, when, when God strikes him down from that horse and acts Asks him, why are you persecuting me? Jesus identifies uh, uh, himself with the body. I mean, that, that radical solidarity is struck. So Paul, in persecuting Christians, is really flaying Christ alive. And, and, and that's why the body is so, is so interchangeable and indivisible. And the sacraments continue that, prolong that presence. We really do encounter Christ in, in these seven very privileged moments. And especially in
1: the sacrament of penance and the Eucharist, which I think we can talk a little bit more about.
0: Yeah, yeah well, yes, there's more than accepting the suffering, it's choosing suffering too, and that's a challenge, so stay with us as we pursue that one.
2: Anyone who really wanted to get rid of suffering would have to get rid of love before anything else, because there can be no love without suffering, because it always demands an element of self-sacrifice. Pope Benedict XVI, God in the world.
4: Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. Led by inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy, and you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu slash pilgrimages.
0: At Franciscan University, surrounded by our students, working all the equipment, and with our special guest, Father Paul Keller, talking about redemptive suffering. Mm. And okay, we've been talking about receiving, accepting the sufferings, being purified. What about choosing suffering? I mean, we have people who choose to suffer for the right reason, but. Uh, what are they, these victim souls or these special people? What happens to them? Well,
1: a victim soul is a, is a very special grace that God gives to individuals to unite their suffering with the suffering of Christ on the cross for the good of others, for the salvation of others. And so uh, they undertake special penances in order to um, to and they can offer this for special intentions. So for instance, the building up of the priesthood, which we have needed over these last few years and so forth, or for the conversion of sinners, for the conversion of a particular person, for the conversion of a nation and so forth. So victim souls are people who have been inspired by God to undertake special penances. Now, I wanna point out in saying that that this is not something everyone ought to run off and do uh, in terms of being a victim soul. We all have our penances to undertake, but a a person who feels inspired in this way should always check with a spiritual director or a confessor uh, in the sacrament of penance in order to learn whether or not God is actually inspiring this because this is a very
3: this is a very special vocation to you be know, a victim. The delusion so, of grandeur can mask masochism exactly. or some ah, other disorder. Exactly. You never do this sort of thing in isolation, you know. Exactly. And as you think about St. Paul in Colossians 1.24 and how he rejoices in his sufferings because he makes up for what is lacking in Christ's suffering for the sake of his body. I mean, again, Augustine explains that, you know, it isn't as though Jesus didn't hang on the cross long enough, that Paul just had to finish right. it. It's that Jesus has to reproduce in us the love which enables us to sacrifice sacrifice our very selves. You know, and so St. Francis so of Assisi... What is
0: lacking? Using the word lacking means lacking what?
3: It, what's lacking in us. In other yeah. words, Christ's love expressed itself in the suffering on the cross. And so Paul rejoices because in his sufferings he makes up what is lacking in the suffering of Christ for the sake of his body. Christ's whole point in suffering was not to gain something that he was missing, but to gain for us all that we were missing. So he has to download that, so to speak, into the church as the body of Christ. So what happens in the head is reproduced in all of the arms and legs and fingers and toes. That's a very good way
1: of putting it. That's what's lacking. It isn't exactly. that we can add anything to Christ's suffering or that he, he didn't adds do enough. To us. He adds yeah. to but, us. But, it's but it, does, it exactly. does make
4: uh, the redemption all the more glorious that he somehow creates a space in his sacred humanity provides for us to somehow fill up what is left lacking.
1: And this is the beautiful thing, this is a fantastic part of understanding what prayer is. But a lot of people think that prayer is changing God's mind. If I just say the right, right number right. of prayers or do this for the um, amount of time that's necessary to get God to come around and see it my way, everything will be fine. That's not what it is. And it's the same thing with suffering. It's a matter of, of being open to God and, and allowing ourselves to be united to his work. In other words, prayer is... The first thing we want to realize is that it changes us, but yep. it's God allowing us to
3: participate in right. His work, His that's,
1: plan. That's and, the that is, and that's what suffering that is. is. Thy we, will
3: be done on exactly. earth as it is in heaven. We don't pray to change God's will; we pray to change so that God can change our will and conform it right. to His. He can change our mind so that we're thinking His thoughts and loving what He loves oh after Him. You know, as we think about. Calvary. You know, we were thinking we were talking about Saint Thomas earlier. You know, I think it's hard for us as Christians to appreciate how impossible it would have been for any Jewish eyewitnesses on Good Friday to have described that event as a sacrifice. Mm. It was it was not a sacrifice no. for Jews because it took place outside the walls of Jerusalem. Right. There were no temples, there were no altars, there were no priests, there was no sacrifices, this was a Roman execution. Mm. And yet within 10 years or less, every Christian knows that that was a sacrifice. How could that have happened? Well, Only by rewinding the tape from Good Friday to Holy Thursday, you know, it's only by looking at the suffering of Jesus on Friday in the light of the Eucharist that he institutes on Holy Thursday. That alone is what illuminates the mystery of his agony. He's celebrating the old Passover, fulfilling it, transforming it into the Eucharist, the new Passover. You know, is this just rhetoric, this is my body which will be given? No, this is reality, and Good Friday proves that he really gave his body, and he really shed his blood. But as you point out, prayer, Gethsemane, is not just an afterthought, it's the hinge on which the Eucharist turns from the upper room to Calvary, because that's where he gives heart consent to living out. The, you know, so that it's more than rhetoric, it's more than a ritual, the Eucharist really becomes his prayer in Gethsemane, just as we live out the Eucharist in Lent by praying our Gethsemane and saying, okay. Even if we might take three prayers, you know, take this cup away well, from, it. and this is how to get through our yeah. suffering as yeah. well. Our, our our
1: the crosses that we embrace, the penances we undertake at Lent, as well as all of those crosses that we carry that Christ has fashioned for us, as you as the two of you have pointed out, is by taking the Eucharist, by uniting ourselves to Jesus. Now, when I say unite ourselves, I don't mean that it's something we do on our own. He's drawing us to Himself. He makes Himself self available so that we. Can can eat his body drink his blood right. in order to be strengthened and transformed by his love we can it's not a matter of just going to communion and thinking everything's going to be just right. fine it's a matter of really After receiving Holy Communion, going back to your place, kneeling down or sitting down and talking to God from your heart and opening yourself to the power of His Eucharist, the power of Good Friday, the power of Easter Sunday, the power of Holy Thursday night uh, given to us, which is the real presence of Christ in that sacrament so that our suffering can be united to His and that we can be strengthened
4: through it even if it's a
1: matter of the little nuisances of having patience and so forth. The the
4: church uh, speaks of prayer as the language of hope. It's the voice of hope. Uh, And uh, the profound uh, petitionary prayer is, God, make me more like you. Let me die to self. Let me conform my life to the example of your son, the sonship, which is one of pure openness, sacrifice. Uh, You know, Pascal says, when you pray, you really do... uh, you really do receive uh, the power of becoming a cause. You cause things to happen. Mm. And and that causality is divine. Yes. You're not making things exactly. happen, but exactly. you enter into the causality of God and you will what he wills. Exactly. And that I think is the, is at the heart of hope. Let this pain, I must endure, let it not be meaningless. Let it have some redemptive weight and value so that it's not just purposeless uh, uh, misery.
0: Well, we talk about two things here. One, accepting what God has sent us and embracing it. But there's also the choosing, choosing the way of suffering. And uh, how do we explain when you make those choices, you know, well, when they're the right choices. I think it comes
1: back to love again. Yes. It always comes back to this, to this one key, which is the way, the whole reason God made us in the first place. But it's love, to choose to undergo something um, without the motive of love will be yeah. worthless. And, and so we have to look about at why I'm choosing to suffer in this way. Why might I embrace some voluntary suffering this Lent? SO THAT I CAN BE TRANSFORMED, SO THAT I CAN BE UNITED WITH CHRIST. BUT I CAN ALSO, BECAUSE I, wanted, I WANT TO HAVE A SHARE in, IN HELPING MY BROTHERS AND SISTERS ON THE WAY. I WANT TO HELP OTHERS BY MY SUFFERING, AND um, not, NOT IN SOME PERVERSE
3: WAY. Well but we NOT really JUST PHYSICAL SUFFERING EITHER, I MEAN, yes, PERSONAL, yeah. EMOTIONAL, YOU KNOW, ON THE NIGHT THAT HE WAS BETRAYED, HE TOOK BREAD AND GAVE YOU THANKS, WHY? because he didn't know he was about to be betrayed? Right. right. Exactly. No, in some, myst- in some mysterious way, precisely because he knew he was going to be betrayed and handed over. You know, we are called to give thanks in the face of that kind of suffering. It's sort of like, God, wait a minute, I thought you didn't command the impossible. Well, you don't, you know, God doesn't command the impossible, but he commands what is
4: humanly impossible without his grace, without the Holy Spirit. I, I think we, we really have to remind people that pain and suffering are implicit in every expression of love. You, you can't exclude it. it it's, it's definitional, uh, it, it's paradigmatic. If you love someone, then you're gonna have to make sacrifices. That's right. If you live for another person, that means, well, I can't live to that extent for myself or else it's, it's not really toss love it's not or real cupiditas yeah. you know love of the other even to the exclusion of yourself contempt for yourself or love of self, and that necessarily excludes the other.
0: Self-love yeah. is not very attractive.
1: That and love how, is measured by sacrifice, yeah. yes.
0: So then how do we distinguish Lent from the other seasons? Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs>
1: well, Lent is meant to prepare us for the rest of the no. the the seasons of the, ca- of the calendar of the path. church. It is a lot. Right. It's, a lot of people see it as, oh, it's just these 40 days of undertaking not eating chocolate right. or drinking <laughs> right. coffee, and so forth and so on. What, you mean I can't drink coffee the rest of the year now? And that sort of thing, but that's not the point. Right. The point is to, as you point, put out, uh, pointed out, it's a launching pad to get us ready for the rest of. Uh, it's, maybe it's, uh, what it's a we're kind of
4: calisthenic. Do. If I could <laughs> give up coffee for 40 days, I, I might be able to give up selfishness for the remaining. Uh, that's much more challenging exactly. to live for this other person. Yes. And, and to do that, I, I think, is a kind of kenosis which the abstinence from coffee might sort of uh, prepare me for. You know, exactly. when you talk
3: to students who are athletes, during season they get better grades. During season they feel better about themselves. During the season they're exhausted, you know, and yet during the season they also have that joy of sacrifice. You know, St. Benedict only uses the word joy once in his writings. and he, you know, we associate it with Easter. He speaks of the joy of Lent, ah. because there really is a sense in which we can rejoice. We can enter into the joy of Christ's victory, knowing that it isn't just on the other side of Easter. It's on the other side of the veil. You know, and yet everything we're doing in Lent is preparing us for the great contest, the great adventure of this, the rest of our lives. That's right.
0: Oh, like basic training in the military. Yeah, you know, perhaps more
3: like sports than that, but I've not <laughs> been to basic that's training. That's where
0: you have visions of where you're going to go and what you're oh, going to do, yeah. but you sacrifice, you get in all the discipline because you're going to be out there commanding and leading and doing all these things. And uh,
1: Which is why the early Christians undertook... Uh, to participate in the season of Lent as well, with, not with the catechumens. Or the, so it was basically made for the catechumens.
3: Yeah, it was a comment by one of the fathers that the Stoics overcame their fear of death through exercise, mm, all well. Christians by way of life. Mm, yeah. You know, and it's like, you know, it, it's, a, it's an amazing thing for us to overcome our fear of death. You know, but when we recognize that death is no longer the end that leads to corruption, but a right. door that leads to glory, you know, my dad was in basic training. The first day, he told the story of how the, the, the drill instructor, you know, went through all the Japanese weapons they'd faced in the Pacific Theater, and he had a grenade, and he let go of it, and he said, run for cover, <laughs> and everybody ran. My dad gashed his nose on the fender, and then he, the, 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 the instructor started laughing, just testing your wits, yeah, you know. Sure. After lunch, my, my, my father ran into a friend just got off the bus and said, if you have this DI this afternoon, here's what you can expect. And so the drill instructor went through all the weapons, came to the grenade, dropped it, run for cover. My dad's friend jumped on top of the grenade and got an award for heroism. But I mean, (laughs) you you can jump on a grenade when you know there's nothing to be afraid of. You can embrace the cross, you can accept death, you can prepare for it as well when you know that there's nothing to really give in to fear about here. Right. Right.
4: Yeah. That's right. Well, so, you know, and most of us are not gonna have to jump on grenades. I, I think most of us- Even have, dead ones. St. <laughs> Jose Maria Escriva tells us, we'll have to simply awaken when the alarm clock goes off. That's the level of heroism that we yeah. have to somehow perfect. Right.
0: And, and how do we not just flop back to where we were before Lent as soon as it's over. Well, know? that's where
1: the sacraments come in, yeah. the use of the sacraments, the sacrament of penance, going to confession with some regularity. not Confession not just for mortal sins, although that's important, but for, a, sure. a, uh, for venial sins as well, so that we learn to grow in holiness. Not to be worried because I've committed some venial sin, but rather to be aware of the love that has been offended by this venial sin, right. and, and, and then we see venial sin for what it is. And it's to
2: something to draw closer w- to, worse. to Jesus. I mean, it's exactly. a love affair. Exactly. You want to
4: be, you want to somehow rid your life of even those imperfections right. that might keep you uh, distant.
3: And to from admit him. them. I mean, that's yeah. also yes, another yes, point of yes. Lent. You know, just like Mark's Gospel describes that man who says, "I believe, Lord, help thou my unbelief." I think we ought to make our prayer. I love you, Lord, but help thou my lack of. Love. Yes. Because right. so this is the time where we yes. feel the weight of our That's weakness, right. and we really need to bring, be brought to the, the brink of that kind of honesty, I mean, near bluntness, where it's like, God, I love you, but just barely, I mean, compared to your love for me. I'm not even sure I do love you that much. And I think that's That's the moment when God's spirit will meet us and transform, not in spite of our weakness, but precisely by showing us more and more how weak we are. it's that humility
1: that opens us to experiencing the power of God's love. We don't even have to, it's (laughs) not not the great stuff we do, it's opening ourselves to what He's doing in us. That's what all the saints have done. That's what the sacrament of penance does and also how we're built up through the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist when we go communion.
0: Okay, well when we come back we're going to have parting thoughts that indeed you can take away and be one who embraces the suffering God wants for you and receives the love, joy, and peace that He holds out to you. Stay with us.
2: Suffering must serve for conversion, that is, for the rebuilding of goodness in the subject, who can recognize the Divine Mercy in this call to repentance. Venerable Pope John Paul II, Salvifici Dolores. I know that what's being taught here is Catholic, and that it's what I believe, and it's what the Church teaches. We're Christians, little Christ. We don't go around always talking about Jesus, but Jesus is always at the heart of every conversation because our relationship is built on Christ the same way this school is built on Christ. After we've come here and gotten our formation and grown in our faith, we're called to go out and share the truth, Jesus Christ, with the rest of the world. Franciscan University is academically challenging and passionately Catholic. Christ gives the answer to the question about suffering and the meaning of suffering, not only by his teaching, but most of all, by his own suffering. The Venerable John Paul II, Salvifici Dolores.
0: come to our final segment on redemptive suffering with father Paul Keller here and uh, we're going to take the final thoughts the takeaway messages to help you follow in this path
4: well uh, the thing that that strikes me about this show more than most is uh, the contrast uh, or the alternating of uh, current or rhythm between God and ourselves. And and of course, Jesus becomes the mediating figure. I mean, the two bookends are God and man. God is absolute, man is relative. God is necessary, man is contingent. God is perfect, and well, we're not so perfect. And so we suffer, we die, that's the price you pay. But God, who is perfect, nevertheless did suffer And certainly, most emphatically, he died. He became a corpse. He went into the ground. And so there's a certain disproportion here. Why would God have to suffer and die? Does he need to justify himself in that way? And of course, he doesn't. I mean, this is the conclusion that Job is driven to, that God is sheer power, sovereignty. He's absolute. He's wisdom. He doesn't have to justify himself before the world, but he's also love. And and John Paul II, in that, that marvelous book, Crossing the Threshold of Hope, asks himself, was it necessary for Jesus to suffer and die? And he says, no, not in the abstract, but in the concrete, in the order of love. It became necessary because unless the agony of the cross was real and dramatic, then the truth that God is love would somehow remain unfounded it wouldn't have been demonstrated it had to be shown you know when somebody says I love you I think it's appropriate to ask how far are you prepared to go to show me that you really do love me are you going to go to the cross or is this just an abstraction and, and so I, I think that's why suffering is placed right at the center of the mystery of redemption he, he entered into the human estate not in order to eliminate our suffering and pain, but to somehow fill it with his presence. And that presence is salvific, redemptive, and that's the only source of hope we have. And, and I, I thank you, Father, for spelling it out uh, so nicely in your little book. Thank you.
0: Wow. Okay, Regis. Scott.
3: Building on that, you know, there's the yeah. humanity and divinity. There's life that is human, natural, and finite. Then there's life that is divine, supernatural, and infinite. There's death, the kinds that we typically fear. You know, when you get sick, you get wounded, you die physically, naturally, humanly. But there's another death, and that is mortal sin. When you lose divine life, that isn't less of a death, but infinitely more. It's a form of spiritual suicide. And I think Lent is is an occasion for us to reflect upon life, life, death, death and to not fear natural death as much as supernatural death. We hate sickness and suffering, but we ought to hate sin with an infinite love that God alone can give us. And I think this is the occasion, this is the season, and we need it every year, you know, and we can't come back lap after lap to the beginning, which is always love, you know. And I'm also reminded of what we were doing in Quoting Chesterton, that, that suffering without love is worthless, it's unendurable, but love without suffering is empty, it's sentimentality, you know, warm, fuzzy feelings. But, but love alone is what transforms suffering into a sacrifice, just as the Eucharist on Holy Thursday transforms the agony of Good Friday into a sacrifice that we have in the Mass and that we need to live out for the rest of our days, you know. And I, I think that penance, understood properly then, is sort of like the preparation we need to get really back into the game. the the, the drama of love. And the sacrament of healing that we have in the anointing of the sick is the ultimate victory, you know, the end of the game, where we prepare our bodies just as Mary prepared Jesus' body by anointing him at Bethany for the resurrection, the ultimate healing. There might be a, a transitory healing, but hopefully there is going to be the eternal healing of the resurrection of our bodies. And, you know, just thank you for communicating these mysteries in a way that can really be grasped.
0: Happy to Okay. Do well, Paul, what are you going to end with? Well, I, uh,
1: the one thing I want to point out is that we all have suffering in one form or another. Yes. And for many people who are listening to our show, uh, that suffering can be very interior, something that no one else will ever know about. And these people suffer greatly, often more than someone with a physical suffering, but there's always hope because united to Christ in love, as we've been saying on the show today, that 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 suffering, that interior suffering, becomes something valuable, something gold, and uh, gold that has to be tested in the fire, has to be has all the dross burned away from it to make of it something valuable, and the sacraments are the way we are in union with Christ, the way we touch Christ, the way Christ touches us, so that we can have that union, that our suffering in whatever form it comes can be lifted up and transformed into something powerful, that which configures us to Christ so that we can attain to eternal glory.
0: Well, that's amazing, and indeed, you've written the book, The Sacraments of Healing, Penance, Anointing of the Sick, 101 Questions and Answers. You still have questions, right, about your suffering and what you should take and what you, uh, how it compares to others. Well, this book, 101 Questions and Answers on the Sacraments of Healing, gives you a real understanding of how God's provided the grace for you in order to keep going through the trials and the difficulties. The one thing I would mention more than anything else is don't compare yourself thinking that other people have it easy and I have it difficult. Well, that's why we have the lives of the saints so that you can read the more details on how difficult it can be. But I can tell you, after 45 years of hearing confessions, giving spiritual direction, you don't know what others are going through. You don't know the trials and sacrifices they have, the difficulties. Some of the happiest, free-flowing types going come and reveal something way down deep in there that they're dealing with. And in fact, their, their free peace and joy comes from being able to embrace that suffering, being embraced to incorporate in their life of prayer, taking it every day to the cross, letting the Lord's grace move in them and free them. So don't think that you're the poor one (laughs) that's beaten down and everyone around you has all this great easy path. They don't. And uh, I want to send Each of you, just for the asking, Pope John Paul II's apostolic letter on the Christian meaning of suffering. We've taken excerpts from that, and we have a handout so you can read what the Pope has taught us. And he did such a wonderful job of teaching us on the Christian meaning of human suffering and how we're all involved and how each one of us is challenged. Each one has its own road, but each one of us has his own or her own graces in order to be faithful in following it. Uh, This is a challenge for everyone to accept in their own lives the way that God has called them, the particular crosses that are there, but believe me, with love it can be transformed not only in goodness in your life, but it can be so redemptive for others. You can offer it. You can have it in prayer. You can bless your family, your friends, others. It can be a pathway of great generosity and also holiness. Till next time, the Lord bless you and keep you. Show his face and have mercy on you. Turn his countenance to you and give you his peace. The Lord bless you. Father, Son,
3: and Spirit. To receive a free handout on today's topic or to purchase a video of this show, call 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-283-6357. Email your request to presents at franciscan.edu. Or write to Franciscan University Presents Franciscan University of Steubenville, 1235 University Boulevard, Steubenville, Ohio,
4: 43952.